I, I love that when it's, it's hard for me to get y'all to sit down because it brings me joy to hear all of y'all connecting with each other. Um, I'm Matt Avery, pastor here at Midtown West. I'm glad you're here. If I don't know you, I really would love to say hey and, and just if you have time to introduce yourself, would love that after the service. I'm gonna, I've got one announcement, then we're going to do something else here. But if you were on our greeting team, if you would stand up. So, um, yeah, thank you all for doing that. I just, I wanted you all to see, like, this is, <laughs> slow clap. Yeah, this is, this is one of the ways that we need people to serve because it's a, a deeply important um, ministry of Midtown West. And some of y'all may be here because of how you were received the first time you came in. But something that's very, very important to us is we want this community to be a community that the, the gate is always open in terms of this is not a closed community. This is not a place where people have come and become friends and then you, you know, if you're new, it's like good luck and you need to find your own people. Um, our heart is that this place is always open to receiving new people, not just to be pleasant to them, but to receive them into the deepest relationships that we have to offer. And so uh, our greeting team is a very important part of that. And our hope is that our greeting team is, is not people doing something, but it's people being themselves and being outwardly, intentionally outwardly facing and just saying like, hey, we just want to get to know you. We want to welcome you here. And, uh, and start building relationships with you. So that being said, we are having a meeting this coming Sunday. So next week after the service, we're going to have lunch provided. We're going to be next door in the library. This is for all of our current greeting team members. Uh, we're going to sort of do vision and training. But this is also for people who are interested in potentially serving on the greeting team. So if, you are, if you're somebody here and, and you're looking for a place to serve, uh, and and you're, you're interested in that, please join us next week. We'll give you some, some details about that uh, in, the, in the weekly email. But, but please just plan on coming next week after the service. Okay, we have more announcements, but what I'm going to do now is I'm officially handing over the mantle of announcements to our new executive director, uh, Evan McCarthy. So come on up. And we can't have Evan just like start making announcements willy-nilly. You guys need to like get to know him a little bit. So we're going to put Evan on the hot seat for a minute here. So we got a few rapid-fire questions. The, seat, the hot seat. It's a hot stand, okay. really. <laughs> um, so we got a few rapid-fire questions. The key to this is you don't have time to think. You just got to go. Wow, you really want to do this? We can't be here all day. <laughs> yes. We're here for honesty. So, okay, you're Okay, it begins. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Uh, the Olympic sport in which you would have the best shot at meddling? None. <laughs> Watching. <laughs> what? Watching. Not a sport. Try again. Uh, bobsled. Bobsled. Uh, biggest fear? <laughs> uh, wow, you're going to go deep. Yeah. Losing Megan and Ellery. That's, wow. Thank yeah. you for bringing us there. Hey, I'm just being real. <laughs> okay. That's, that's what we asked. This is good. Uh, favorite dinner spot in Nashville? Ooh. Uh, Lyra, suggested by... Those two over there is our new favorite spot. Okay, uh, favorite thing about Megan? Mm. One of your favorite things. Um, the way that she is able to connect to me and to other people. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Best part of being a dad? Uh, every part of it. Yeah, literally everything. <laughs> Go-to karaoke song? Uh, I don't do karaoke, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We'll yeah. talk about that later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what will be the title of your memoir? Uh, oh, gosh. Evan McCarthy, colon. I don't do karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Time for announcements. Yes. Okay. That was so fun. Thank you, Matt. Um, <laughs> uh, announcements this week. Um, I'm going to go out of order from what's up here. But um, Thursday prayer. We gather every Thursday at 6 a.m. on Zoom. You don't have to turn your camera on. You can be in bed. Just we would love for you to join us praying. Um, it's a way that you can connect to others and be encouraged by hearing their prayers and really, uh, yeah, just spending time with the Lord. So please join us. Zoom link is in the email, the weekly email. Uh, so if you're not on that, come find me after the service. Um, yeah, giving. Uh, if you call Midtown West home, then giving is a part of following Jesus. And so we would just ask you to consider giving. If you are visiting or new, we are not asking you to give. We just, we want this service to be a blessing to you. Um, but if you do call Midtown home, then we would love for you to follow the Lord and what that means to give. Um, explore Midtown. Yeah, I just want to celebrate this. We, uh, so each congregation has a certain number of spots for Explore Midtown, which is our class to learn more about Midtown, the whole movement, and if you want to join as a member. And West has filled up. So a lot of you obviously signed up and, um, yeah, are hoping to be a member or just learning more. We did open five more spots. So if you went to sign up last week and saw that it was full, there are five more spots. So jump on that. We would love to have you there. Uh, worship night. We are having a worship night on July 27th. Um, our series through the Song of Songs has been learning what it means for God to sing over us and for us to sing back to him. And so on July 27th, we are going to actually do that and meet here and gather and uh, learn what it is to be sung over by the lover of our souls. So we really invite you um, to come to that. Um, lastly, nope, I lied, second to last, uh, State of the Union. If you are a member here at Midtown West, on August 14th, we will stay in here or maybe in the library, don't know yet, but um, August 14th, after the service, we'll have lunch and Matt is going to give the presidential address. No, he's not gonna do that. Um, we're just gonna talk about where we've been this past year as far as our goals and what we're hoping and then looking forward to this next year. Um, yeah, where we hope to go as we together as, as Midtown West follow Jesus uh, on this adventure. So if you remember, please plan on standing or on staying for that. And then lastly, um, if you are a baker and you like to bake bread, um, would you possibly consider baking communion bread once a month for us? Uh, one of the other Midtown congregations has some people that uh, do that, and Matt thought it'd be a great idea to see if we have anyone who would love to serve uh, using their gifts and baking um, to bless us the first Sunday of every month as we take communion. So just gonna toss that out there, if there's any bakers. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Well done, man. Well done. Okay. Um, we, we are in this, this sermon series. We're going through the Song of Solomon, and we're calling this the Summer of Love. And it's, we, we're coming out of a series where we're meeting Jesus for the first time through people's first interactions with him. And we're very curious because 
he's not like anybody else. The things that he says, the things that he's interested in, where he goes in conversations, all of that is, is very intriguing and draws us in closer. And this series is where he's taking us, why he came, what he's interested in, what is the fulfillment of, of all the things that he's about and that he's done and that he's doing. And that is this intimate covenant love union between God and his people. And so we are, we are walking through the Song of Songs. This is a poem. It is the Song of Songs. It is the greatest poem because it is about the greatest subject matter. It certainly is about covenant love between a man and a woman, but it's also more than that about covenant love between the king of all things um, and his, his people. So as we continue in the series, last week we talked about uh, just the concept of covenant, that covenant is desired. Whether we know it or not, we desire love that has some teeth to it. We desire love and law together in this beautiful union called covenant because we know that our emotions are fickle and we know that other people's emotions are fickle. And so if, if all we have in this love for other people is this emotional fire, that fire is going to burn out. And, and relative to the length of our life, it is going to burn out rather quickly. And so um, last week we saw the, the hunger for covenant love from this woman. She had a dream where she thought, you know, things are going so well, but what if? What if something happens? What if he changes his mind? What if he really sees me for who I am and that changes how he feels about me? What if all these different things happen? Without a covenant, all of these words could just be empty and he could disappear tomorrow. And so then we see the fulfillment of the covenant. We see their marriage. And then we see the bliss, the, the enjoyment of covenant of their wedding night. And so that is where we left off last. And now, as we get into this passage, we see immediately after the wedding night bliss, a failing of love. And I found this quote this week that is really haunting, but um, would serve us well to, to lean in here. It says, the tragic opposite of burning love is not necessarily fierce hate. It can be simple, bored indifference to the desires and needs of the loved one. And so that's what we see in this passage. And I want to just thank God for showing us both. I want to thank God for showing us the heights of covenant love and its enjoyment. Because this is a beautiful gift that he's given us. It does point to our love with him. But I also want to thank him for showing us the failings, our failings in covenant love. Because this is the life we live in. We are frail, we are weak, and we desperately need him. And covenant love is, is like a trellis for a vine to grow. It's this, it's this framework that's there that's strong when we're weak. So there are going to be times where we are motivated first by love. And we are motivated first by our feelings. We really do we're tuned in with this passion and this desire and this deep love for God or for this other person or for these people. But then there are other times where we fail. We're frail, we're, we're sinful, we turn to ourselves. we turn to our own comfort, and that's when we need the, the law of covenant to hold us up uh, when, we're, when we're not feeling it. And so that's where we're going with this, this passage. And so as, um, who's reading this morning? Okay, come on up. Uh, as Caroline comes up to read, uh, what the passage is a little confusing, and so um, she is talking about a dream that she's had, which is a dream that's based on events that have happened. Uh, and then after, sort of in the midst of her dream, she's visited by these other people that kind of operate as like a narrator, and they, they ask her questions. And so I'll let Caroline read the passage for us. 
So we're from Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, and chapter 6, verse 3. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drop of the night. I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O Lord. O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved, that you thus adjure us? My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He graces among the lilies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Caroline. Father, we, we come into your presence this morning. And I thank you for giving us passages like this for many reasons, but one of the layers of my thanksgiving for this passage is how hard it is to understand what you're trying to say. Thank you that you draw us in with things that are not easily grasped. Thank you that you invite us to come closer and spend time with you so that we can hear you and understand you and be changed by you. Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning in powerful ways that you promised to do. You say that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes the purposes for which you sent it. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinful man. Uh, You've called to proclaim your perfect word, and I pray that the power in your word and in your spirit working in our lives and in this place would uh, completely transform us and, and give us new life. And ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our passage, like I said, it begins with this dream. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. And so she has had this experience in real life where she is, she's taking this and she's thinking about it and she's dreaming about it as she sleeps because it's really bothering her. Um, this is another dream formed from something that's happened between them. We, we heard about a dream last week. Um, he came to her, he's desiring her in this dream, and he wants to make love to her, and she denies him. He says, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. He comes with all of the love, all of this, this desire for her. And, 
you know, last time they were apart in the last dream that she has, her, her, she says, I will, basically, I will search everywhere. I, as a young woman, will go out in the streets at midnight where it is not safe to be because no cost is too great to find my beloved. He is not with me. He needs to be with me. I cannot rest until he's with me, and I will go search for him. And she searches for him, and she finds him. And then it says, she searched until she found him. She held him and would not let him go. Okay, so that's, that is before their wedding. Okay, now right after their wedding, he comes to her. She doesn't have to go find him. He comes to her with all this love and all this desire, and he's knocking at her door. And her response now is, I've already taken off my garments and gotten in bed. How could I possibly get up to open the door? <laughs> and if you're married, you're probably laughing for different reasons. But... Um, you know, before, no trouble was too costly, and now any trouble is too costly. And, and again, I'm so thankful that the Lord puts this right after this scene of wedding night bliss, because we need to see that we are capable of both, that that is the human condition, that is the human experience, is any intense, passionate love that we feel within our own strength is it will fail. We do not have the capacity to keep that up and hold that up in the face of our own sin, our own weaknesses, the sin of other people, what's happening to us out in the world. Um, if, if that is all we have, we are going to fail. And, and in the dream, she has a change of heart. That's why it's a little confusing to read it because it happens back to back. But first she wouldn't get up and then he keeps pursuing, he keeps knocking and she finally decides to get up. And then it says, by the time she got up to let him in, my beloved had turned and gone. And then she describes, when she reflects on this, what happened to her when he came and she denied him. She says, my soul failed me when he spoke. And that is something that we're all familiar with. Both with, with the people that we are in deep relationships with and with the God that we are in a deep relationship with. There are many times where our soul fails us. And so in the dream, if you remember the last dream, she encounters these watchmen. These are the people that are there to protect the city at night. They're roaming around the streets. They're the only people up and about in these dreams that she has because everybody else is in bed asleep. In the last dream, she runs into them and she finds them and she says, have you seen my beloved? And there's really not much interaction. But in this dream, remember, this is just a dream. But in her dream, she's got this guilty conscience about how she's treated her beloved. And this time, the watchmen find her and it says that they beat her and they bruise her and they take her veil. So she's, she is, she's on this track. She's in this cycle of selfishness and then guilt about her selfishness and then regret for the way that she's treated her beloved and then fear and then despair. And she tells the daughters of Jerusalem, uh, last time she was asking she was, she was wanting to go be with him. She was the one that was going to go search for him. And this time in her despair, she says, listen, I'm done looking. I can't find him. If you find him, tell him that my heart is sick with love. So she's, she's, she's done searching because she's, she's in despair. And so in this picture of a failing of covenant love, it would do us well to reflect on our covenants and see uh, where we have failed.
How often do we forego our desires for the sake of another person? And this is really a test of whether I'm loving you at all or I'm just loving myself by getting you to do something that I want you to do for me. So how often in, in our lives do we actually forego what we feel like and what we want for the sake of what the other person wants simply because we love them, because we've committed ourselves to them? You know, the example from our passage uh, is a sexual example between a husband and a wife. And, and for a husband and a wife, um, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. Genesis 2, 24 says, A man shall leave his people and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is sexually, but that's also in every way, two becoming one. And 1 Corinthians 7, 4 is even more explicit. The husband and the wife do not have sole authority over their own bodies anymore. Their spouse now has a say in how they use their bodies. You know, this is uh, wild. This is very countercultural. And this can be scary to talk about because of all the, the instances of abuse and, and things that have happened out in the world, things that maybe have even happened to us. But with this, with anything, we, we don't throw out the truth of the principle of, of what God has given us because what he's given us is good. We just have to be very careful about how we interpret this and not allow this to be a license for abuse or some other sinful behavior. But what, what the Lord is saying in his word about two married people when they are in a, a covenant marriage together is that your bodies do not belong to yourself anymore. And that is not a license for uh, the person who is desiring sex more to always get what they want. That is saying that both of you need to think about the other person. So if you're the person in that relationship that is desiring sex more, then part of the way that you give your body to your spouse is by refraining and saying, I'm not here just for my own gratification. I'm here for you. And if we're in a place, if we're in a season, if we're in whatever where, where you need me to refrain, then I'm thinking about you and I'm trying to refrain. And if you're the person who's wanting sex less than your spouse, then you are saying, um, this may be a season where I need to refrain for some reason, but I'm not gonna just stay here and the only thing I think about is what I feel like. I'm recognizing that I have been given to you, you have been given to me and our bodies are not our own. And it's this dance, it's not, it's not uh, a lordship over, it is a, a dance of servanthood between the two people. It is trying to figure out how do we get on the same page? How do we love each other? How does my presence in your life as your covenant partner lead you to believe the truth about this Jesus who really loves you perfectly, who I am just a dim reflection of? How do we serve each other? How do we encourage each other? How do we move toward each other? And so if you're, if you're a Christian, you've, there's a very good chance that you've heard this. You're familiar with this concept between a husband and a wife. You've read those passages before. But probably what hasn't, a, a bridge that hasn't been uh, built for a lot of us is that Jesus uses that same language to talk about his covenant love with us and us with each other in his body. You know, 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So again, this picture of two becoming one. We, we are no longer separate, but the Lord lives in us. We are one, one flesh with him. 
And then it says, you are not your own. And so often what happens is we move into these covenant relationships with a spouse, with Jesus, with his people for what we can get. And that's natural. That's, that's where we all start. Is, is this looks appealing to me. I want to be a part of this for what it can give to me. I don't want to be lonely anymore. I want to have sexual fulfillment. You know, I want to have the benefits of, of life in this community and in the body of Christ and with him. But I, that's where I stop. And I don't think about my covenant obligations, that this is a two-way street and that um, I'm, my marriage does not just exist for, for Lee to be joined to me and to fulfill me in all the ways that I'm, I'm thankful to have a spouse to fulfill me. That this is a two-way street of love, that there's a pouring out, that there's a foregoing of my desires and my feelings and my comfort for her. And, and the same is true in this body, and the same is true uh, as we follow Jesus together. And so the question is, you know, if, if you are in a covenant with Jesus, if you are in covenant relationship with God through him, like a husband and a wife, does Jesus have authority over your body? Do you think about that? Does that, is that how you live life, is that, that you are no longer your own? but that he, you are not the sole authority, but that he has say over how you live your life, how you spend your resources, the direction of your career, your sexuality's expression, your finances, all of this. That this, this is our life in Christ, is that we, we are no longer our own. You know, he also talks about how uh, in Ephesians 4, part of this relationship of covenant love we have with him is expressed in this body. And it says that we are called, he is, what he is doing as part of his love for us is that he is growing us up together into the head, which is him, into this body where all the joints work together to build itself up in love. And so he's saying that you also have a commitment to each other, to the men and women and children who this is the local expression of the body of Christ for us. You know, and for all of us who are members, um, there was a, a covenant that we made, and one of the vows that we take is it says, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And, and this is not uh, guilt time, but this is, you know, godly conviction is good and healthy and leads us to life, and we're not going to stay here, so don't worry. But we have to really ask ourselves, like, if if this is a covenant community that I'm a part of, like I'm building this toward what it is. And another way to ask that question is, what would this community be like if everyone treated their vows the same way that you treat yours? You know, are we, are we skating on feelings that are gonna burn out and then this is just gonna die? Or do we really take that covenant seriously and say, no, no, I have obligations that I've committed myself to, ways to serve and ways to be present and ways to give myself relationally and financially and my time and my talents uh, to these people and to the work that God is doing here. You know, one of the ways that I think about this is just as an example is, you know, Thursday prayer. We talk about that every week and we talk about how essential that is. If we are going to follow Jesus together, if we are going to hear his voice together, if we were going to be these 
joints and ligaments that are so tightly connected, they're like the different functioning parts of a human body. And we're saying that we believe that in addition to this weekly worship that God has called us to, that that is a really, really important way in which this happens. I'm not thinking about any particular people here, but it's, it's hearing that every week and not responding. And, and maybe, that's, maybe it's like impossible with your work schedule, but it's like if that's the case, then your heart being agitated of like, I want to be a part of that. And so like reaching out and saying, is there any way we could change the time? Is there any way we could change the day? Because this is important and I, I want to, this is my family. This is my covenant family. I want to be a part of this. It's just thinking about the way that we engage with each other. Because y'all, I'm just going to tell you, um, the same is true for me. If, if the only way that we are oriented toward this body, just the same if the only way we are oriented toward our spouse is loving when we feel like it, we're dead. <laughs> because I'm just going to tell you, we all know where that road goes. And it only goes down. Because we are so weak, we are so frail, we are so still beset with sins. As Jesus is working out his purposes in our lives, um, that is the direction that's going to go. That's where feelings uh, lead us. And so again, godly conviction is good. If the Lord is moving in you, that's good. But you are not going to be stuck. Uh, your covenant unfaithfulness in any of those covenants does not spell um, your demise. You're not going to be stuck in this cycle of shame and fear and guilt and despair because that is not where our God leaves us because ultimately um, our ability to keep these covenants is not rest in ourselves. And so let's, let's move on in the next section here. Um, starting in verse 9, we have these others, this voice that's in this, this woman's life. Maybe this is the daughters of Jerusalem. Maybe this is somebody else. But these others function as sort of like a narrator for her, um, almost as a conscience, almost as like the Holy Spirit speaking to her. And they show up in her life in the midst of her fear and despair to help lead her back toward her beloved. And so they ask her this question, what is your beloved more than another beloved, a most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved? Why do you care so much about your beloved? Why is he so special? Oh, most beautiful among women. Remember, he's the one that calls you that. So they're, they're, they're moving her toward her beloved. And they give her this opportunity to remember, to reflect and to remember, to get out of the daily grind and to think about this one who she is in this covenant relationship with. It's the power of remembering. It's the space that gives her an opportunity to reflect. And it just makes me think like in, in my marriage um, having those moments where, you know, it's, it's like I lift my head up from the fray of like running around and chasing the kids and I see Lee in a different way and it's like I see her new again and I'm reminded of, of what a gift she is to me and I'm reminded of, of how amazing this is that the Lord would have such grace and mercy upon me that he would allow this woman to join herself to me and, and get to be on this journey together. And so that's, that's what's happening here is it's this space for her to reflect. And she reflects on the goodness of her husband. And it would do us good to reflect on the goodness of our, our husband, our shepherd king. You know, Psalm 27.4, David says, 
Um, I'm asking the Lord for one thing. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon his beauty. There is so much to behold in our Jesus. There's so much beauty. There's so much goodness. There's so much life. There's so much glory. And as she walks through this description, verses 10 through 16, she's, we don't have time to get into all, like, every, every line and what it means, but here's the things that she's seeing about him. He is handsome. He is distinguished above all others. He's majestic. He is strong. But he's also gentle and humble and good and kind. He's righteous. He bears fruit everywhere he goes. He speaks words of life that give me courage and hope and healing and peace and joy. And now that I stop and think about him, he is so very precious to me. He is so very precious. And in summary, she, summary of this preaching to herself as she answers their question, she says, he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved. This is my friend. This is the one who is so special. This is the love of my life. This is my covenant love partner forever. And so uh, this is a good reminder for us. Look, the power of reflection, the power of remembering, the power of gratitude uh, for those who are married. Um, who is this that you're married to? You know, they, they are not perfect. They are not perfect like our King Jesus but where's the beauty? Where's his reflection? Where's his image in them? What is the gift of this person in your life? And to stop and reflect on that. And for us as a community and this covenant community to think, what is this community to us? What is this place that God's called us and gathered us and why is it beautiful? And, and how has this been a gift to me? And then of course to think about our Jesus and to say, who is this, our shepherd king? Who is this, the love of my life? And so there's a part of this where she, she is now in a place where she appreciates him. She remembers afresh who he is and how beautiful and how wonderful he is. But then there's still this fear of, okay, now I see it. But remember when I got up to go to the door, he had already left. Is it too late? Is it too late for me to remember who he is and how much I love him? And so they, the others ask her another question. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? In a sense, what they're asking her is, where do you think he's gone now that you have treated him like this? How do you think he will respond? And her answer is this. My beloved, ha my beloved has gone down to his garden to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Upon reflection of who he is and his goodness and his love, she essentially says, he hasn't gone anywhere. The way that I have failed him, the way that my love has failed him, has not changed the way that he feels about me at all. Because his love for me is not based on my love for him. Thank God that that is our Jesus. That when we fail him, not if, but when we fail him, he does not leave. He does not love us less. Um, it does not impact him because his goodness, his love is not rooted in getting something from us. And if we dig in a little bit more to her response, these last two verses of our passage, 
that word she uses, uh, she says, my beloved has gone down. Remember, her garden is, is her. Um, but he has gone down, he has descended. So this, we get a picture of our Jesus who has descended into the gardens of our soul. He has gone down and is delighted that he has descended and to, and to be with us. And that word graze actually can mean shepherd. Um, so he has descended to shepherd us in the gardens of our soul. He has come down to us. He has met us. Where does Jesus go when we are unfaithful to him? He descends to us to shepherd our hearts back to him. And of course, in doing so, he descends into humiliation. First, just the humiliation of becoming human, that the God of the universe would limit himself to a human body and not any kind of special human body, but just a very average human body. And then he descends again to wear all of our shame on himself. And then he descends again to suffering and death on a cross. And he is glad to do it because he has set his affections on us. And he does it so that he can shepherd us back to him, so that he can shepherd us back to him and be with us forever. He has never left and he never will. He has never left you and he never will. Do you know that Jesus? Is the Jesus that you're in relationship with, the Jesus that you know, the Jesus that you call your Lord and Savior, that Jesus, whose affection for you will never be changed or swayed or lessened because of anything that you have done, any way that you have failed him in your covenant love? Because that is who Jesus is. That is who our Jesus is. And she says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And he is always shepherding and pastoring me. She sees her covenant identity afresh, and this time she says, for the first time, I am his first. I am his, and he also is mine. And this is a gift, y'all. This is a, a gift to be called up out of ourselves, because what's really happening when we fail in our covenant love, what's really happening is we're enslaved to ourselves. We live in these little worlds where all of our day is set by chasing our comforts. And what Jesus is doing in putting us in these covenant relationships and calling us to something greater, something that we don't have the capacity for apart from him, is he is saving us from ourselves. And so when we fail in our covenant relationships, we don't have to be afraid of him. We do not have to be afraid of him. This is not a test, but this is a journey. Uh, I'm reading Long Obedience in the same direction with some, some guys this summer. And one of the, the first things Eugene Peterson says in one of the first chapters is, you know, dis, excuse me, discipleship is not something that we accomplish. It is like an apprentice working with a master craftsman. No matter, no matter how many hours you put into your craft, no matter how many decades someone has been working at their craft, even masters, there's always room to grow and improve. And so that is what our relationship with Jesus is. In this covenant, we are with him working, moving. He is moving in us. He is changing us. He's transforming us. So we do not have to be afraid as he calls us up into something more. And the power for us uh, to get out of this prison of self is him keeping his covenant with us. And as we lean into that and we understand that and we allow that to change us, we are more able to keep our covenants with each other. And it's this beautiful, lifelong process of him making us like himself. And I just want to close with this. In Revelation 3, there's these letters to the churches. And the letter of the church of Laodicea 
is this group of people who is lukewarm. Um, they're going through the motions. They're easily distracted. There's no fire in their life. There's no conviction. There's no purpose. They're just moving through the paces. They're, they're sliding in and out of their, their rhythms of the, the week and their relationship with God, and it's just whatever's convenient. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Just like the beloved in this passage, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And so brothers and sisters, if you hear him knocking, open the door. He will come in and eat with you because guess what? This promise that he makes in this passage, he is saying this to a body of lukewarm people, to people who are failing at their covenant, to people who are self-absorbed and seeking their own comfort over loving others and loving him. And he says to us, those people, my promise still stands. If you hear me knocking at your door, I, I will continue to knock. And unlike the dream that the woman has in this passage where it's too late, he will open the door and he will come in and eat with us. And that is the very thing that we were made for. And so if, if you've had a week like mine where you've pursued trivial things um, instead of pursuing the lover of your souls, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to put yourself in spiritual timeout. You don't have to put distance between you and him. You run to him. You open the door and let him come in and heal you and remind you of how much he loves you and commune with him. Father, uh, we, we thank you for this word, Lord. In some ways, this is a hard word because we don't like to feel conviction. We don't like to have hard conversations. But you don't ever come to us to shame. You come to us to give us new life. Lord, and I pray that you would, you would set a godly conviction on each of us so that it would set us free from the prison of ourselves so that we could run to you that we could open ourselves to you afresh and, and have a deep hunger and a deep desire and a, a new desire for you, a renewed desire to be yours and to be with you and to choose you over all the other things that we busy ourselves with throughout the week. So Father, even now as we continue to worship, would you use this time together, this gift that you've given us to change us and to draw us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.